Welcome to the Magic Valley Bible Church Sermon Podcast. Magic Valley Bible Church has been serving the Magic Valley for 20 years and is located at the corner of Gooding and Main Street in downtown Twin Falls, Idaho. Our service starts at 9 a.m. and is streamed live on our YouTube channel. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.mvbibletf.org or Facebook at facebook.com slash mvbible or YouTube at youtube.com slash mvbible. Magic Valley Bible Church, built on God's Word. Appreciate songs being sung that highlight the attributes and the sufficiency of Christ as being our great shepherd. If you'll notice the title of today's sermon is The All-Sufficient Great Shepherd. Take your Bibles and open them to Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6. And as you're turning there, I just want you, hopefully you made that connection with the, the women's speaker. Um, she is the wife of a former missionary that we supported over in Lebanon. And, of course, is the sister-in-law to Matthew Powell. And <clears throat> I think you'll be blessed, ladies, uh, for all that she's going to deliver. And, and uh, we're thankful that she had the opportunity to step in in time of need and um, rejoicing in what fruit will come out of that retreat. So if you have any questions about that, make sure that you ask somebody else but me, um, and they will help you. <laughs> you know, as you, you get older, I mean, the pastor kind of seems irrelevant, right? So it's just kind of one of those things. Other people will have the information for you and be blessed. Let me read the passage for us. It's uh, starting in verse 30 that sets our study. For when the Bible speaks, God speaks. And so we listen and hear from him. Starting in verse 30, the apostles gathered together with Jesus, and they reported to him all that they had done and taught And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a secluded place and rest a while. For there were many people coming and going, and they did not even have time to eat. They went away in the boat to a secluded place by themselves. People saw them going, and many recognized them and ran there together on foot from all the cities and got there ahead of them. When Jesus went ashore, he saw a large crowd, and he felt compassion for them because they were like a sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. When it was already quite late, his disciples came to him and said, this place is desolate and is already quite late. Send them away so that we may go into the surrounding countryside and villages and and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, shall we go and spend 200 denarii on bread and give them something to eat? And he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go look. And they found out, they said, five and two fish. And he commanded them all to sit down by groups on the green grass. They sat down in groups of hundreds and of fifties. And he took the, the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up towards heaven, he blessed the food and broke the loaves 
and he kept giving them to the disciples to set before them. And he divided up the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied, and they picked up 12 full baskets of the broken pieces and also of the fish. There were 5,000 men who ate the loaves. Let us pray. Father, we thank you this morning for the joy of worship, for the joy of centering our, our minds and our thoughts upon you. And we do the same when we come to your word, knowing that you are a gracious God to inspire the scriptures in such a way that, that men speak for God. We thank you for your word and, and this miracle. Maybe familiar to most of us, Father, but yet there's such deep truth in it. And we just ask that you and the Spirit would help us with your word to understand it. We ask that you be with your, your under-shepherd. May you help him as he communicates your great truth. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Another miracle. It's a unique miracle in this sense that it's the only miracle that is recorded in all four Gospels. It's pretty remarkable to think about that and the, the importance of that. We can say that it is important that we get it, that we understand it. Each Gospel writer, of course, has their own emphasis as they retell this account. For example, for example Matthew and Luke were simply interested in telling the, the, the simplicity of the miracle, which, by the way, I say simplicity, they were just straightforward with the truth, that it had happened. And just in the simple telling of it, when you sit back and just read it, you were, were amazed at the kindness of God and his compassion. John, in his gospel, he gives a theological treatise towards this, he helps us understand, following this miracle in his, in John chapter 6, he, he writes about the whole issue of, of Jesus being the bread of life. That he alone is the one who saves. That he alone is the one who satisfies and sustains our souls. And then you have Mark here in our text, who gives us the angle of the loving compassion of Christ. It bleeds from the pages of scriptures. He puts the spotlight on the heart and compassion of Jesus. He shows us his divine attributes in such a way and, and how they are, are lived out and given to the people. And what, what Mark shows us is, is his selflessness, right? His desire to serve, his desire to meet the needs of others. The miracle demonstrates who Jesus is and what he came to do. And that is, of course, is that Jesus is incarnate, dwelling in the flesh. He is the Messiah. He's the anointed one who has deep care for those who are hungry, both spiritually and physically. It's also a miracle that Jesus performed that points to the reality that he is greater than any other prophet. We'll dive back into the Old Testament and see the, the foreshadowings of, of what this miracle fulfills in, in, in light of what has already been taking place. But ultimately, this miracle is pointing to Jesus. 
it's a billboard, some marker, it's an understanding that he is the, the, the Messiah, the Redeemer, the Savior, the great shepherd of our souls. And it has an emphasis of the whole idea of that he and only he can satisfy, that he is sufficient for everything. What I love about this miracle is that other truths kind of point to it. What I mean by that, our passage this morning is the fulfillment of Philippians 4.19. Look at the screen. It says there, and my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Here is 2 Corinthians 9.8. Plastered on a billboard so we can see this truth. Where the word of God says, and God is able to make all grace abound to you. So that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. Here is Ephesians 3.20, where Paul says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us. And clearly, here is Psalm 23. Verse 1, when it rightly says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. It's a great truth for our hearts to, to think about the reality of Jesus in action and what he's done and how he does it and what he still do, does today. And so I want to dive into the text, and the best way to, to process this truth is to give you three hooks. And I think it's easy to look at these things when you look at his divine attributes being on display here. They are three attributes that point to Jesus Christ as the great shepherd. They tell us that he is unchangeable or immutable, that he never changes, and that they have a great impact and implications for our soul and our lives today. The first is that Jesus has a divine awareness, and we see this at the beginning of our narrative and starting in verse 30. Look at verse 30 again. It says, The apostles gathered together with Jesus, and they reported to him all that they had done and taught. Now, there's a lot there. What I mean by that, this is a kind of a concluding verse of what he's already done earlier in Mark 6 in sending and commissioning the apostles. He, he has already sent them out. He has given them a de delegated authority. They have his supernatural power. They're out there in twos doing the work of the ministry. And here they come back together, and they are reporting, sitting down with Jesus. And I can only imagine, Scripture doesn't show us exactly what the reports they gave, but can you imagine the reports of the apostles with this delegated authority going out there proclaiming Christ? We know, according to verse 13, that, that they cast out many demons, and, and they were anointing uh, the sick with oil, they were healing them. John tells us that they even raised people from the dead. I mean, the reports and the awe. What a session, right? They were doing things that Jesus allowed them to do. They were doing things that Jesus did. And they come back to report to Jesus all that they were doing and did in their Delegated divine authority, right? And so, knowing that they come together, Jesus said, let's get away, right? Verse 31. 
And he said, look at it there. He said, he said to them, come away by yourselves to a secluded place and rest a while. Now we get the reason why he says this. The parentheses there in verse 31, for there were many people coming and giving, or, or excuse me, coming and going, and they did not even have time to eat. As we've seen in the, in the Gospel of Mark, I mean, Jesus is being pressed upon by the crowds of people with the miracles that he's performed. And now the 12 are, do, are being treated the same. People are coming in groves. Of course, maybe for their own reasons, maybe wanting to be healed, wanting something from the power of Christ. In any case, Jesus recognizes it and says, hey, let's get away. In essence, let's have a, have, have a pastor's retreat and let's, let's, let's go to a, a secluded place. So much going on that the disciples and Jesus, the text tells us, didn't even have time to eat. They were caught up in ministry. They were caught up in the joys of, of what that looks like and, and they were so focused on what was going on, that they didn't even have time to feed themselves. So verse 32 tells us, they went away in the boat to a secluded place by themselves. No doubt it was a frantic situation. Often when, when Christ, what we've seen in the Gospel of Mark in his public ministry, people pressing in, it was overwhelming. Here Jesus looks to his probably disheveled disciples. They're weary, they're tired, they're hungry. They're overwhelmed. And he has this divine awareness to say, let's get away. This is where Jesus shows us as, as a shepherd who cares for his sheep, he looks at his disciples and says, it's time for rest. A divine awareness that they needed a retreat. And they went to a secluded place, and you get the indication from the Greek that this is kind of like a des desolate place, a wilderness, kind of a, not a lot going on here, no villages, no towns. And it's supposed to be just them and Jesus. He has a divine awareness. He sees that they need some rest. And I believe that he still has that even for us today. I think about the many kindness and the kind acts of God in our own lives where he knows exactly what we need in the time of the moment of our need. Jesus knows what we need, and in his knowing, acts and puts into place things for us to find rest, to find comfort. Often, especially when our souls are weary and tired. I don't know about you, I, I, I learned in seminary, I used to idolize sleep. I don't know if you guys do that today. Seminary stripped all of that from my life. I'll never forget the time of going into class and, and having an assignment due, and here we were sitting there ready to present our offerings to the professor, right? And he gets up there, and, and he says, okay, hand in your 
your assignments. Well, he noticed that one gentleman didn't do that. And he calls him out in front of the class. And he asks him, hey, called him by name. Did, did you get any sleep last night? He said, yes, I did. And then he gazed his eyes over a couple other disheveled seminary students, and he, he called me out. One, he said, hey, Morton, did you get any sleep? And I could tell by the look of your face you did not get any sleep. I said, no, sir, no sleep. But I'm joyful and glad to be here. And he literally kicked this seminary student out. He goes, don't come to my class sleeping, knowing that you had sleep when the other guys are battling for the ministry and doing the work of the ministry. That guy, he made leave, and I tell you what, that was a, an eye-opener to all of us to make sure that we had his assignments done in proper order. But I think it was a great learning point for a young seminary student to understand that, that sleep, it will come when the Lord brings it. And so I don't, I don't wrestle with that. I don't, I don't count the hours, and neither should you. We, we should be thankful when we get it. And know this, that when you are tired and weary... He will provide it. I think too often we make sleep an idol, but that's just kind of all that is a rabbit trail. But all that to say that God is kind in his awareness to know what we need in the hour of our need. I think of another example of, of a dear couple who just shared with me this week of God providing in the matter of their need. They just got off of wonderful vacation. They were rejoicing in God's kindness, seeing the, the, the countryside where they were at. It's time to go home. They're on Eagle, Island, or Eagle Park, and Island Park, excuse me, kind of over there by Idle Falls. They have to make their trek all the way back to Twin Falls. They stop and get some snacks, and they notice that what? The alternator's not working. The light is on. It's deep, and it's hour. They decide to go and, and buy a battery. He, the husband had a mechanical understanding of the car. He's knowing that not having an alternator to, 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 to drive is going to be a problem. But everything is shutting down, and so he grabs a battery for his car, hoping that what he had left in his existing battery and this new battery will get them home. Conversation ensued with the husband and the wife, and the wife asked a, a wise question, how long do you think this battery is going to last us to his response is about one hour. She did the math real quickly in her head. There's no way that they're going to be able to get home. He did what husbands do, trying to think, okay, work, what can I do? She immediately started to go on her phone and started texting people to pray. And his thought, which I agree with, he looked at his wife and says, listen, honey, for one, you can't charge your phone, so save the battery life. We might need it later. <laughs> to what she responded to some degree like, listen, what better way to use the battery on our phone to ask people to pray? Of course, that humbled him. They prayed, and they hoped. About 20 minutes later, the car battery died. He quickly changed the the battery out with the one that he had left, knowing that he had at least about an hour and 45 minutes left in the trip. They get in the car, start driving, and drive, 
and drive until they finally make it home. So much so that in the morning when he started to back up, it started right back up and he drove it to the shop. You talk about the provision of God extending the life of a battery in the midst of your need. That's a God thing. Especially in today's day and age and what they make and as far as parts and things like that, they don't last the, even the hour that they say that they will. God is so kind in so many good ways. And I loved it when I heard the testimony, just the smile on the husband's face. He said it was a good trip because God showed his hand. And I agree. I agree. Divine awareness, God knowing sovereignly everything that you need before you even know that you need it and providing in something that we see at jumping out of the text in these first three verses. There's another attribute I want you to see as the text points us to his divine compassion starting in verse 33. Look at verse 33. The people saw them going and many recognized them and ran there together on foot from all the cities and got there ahead of them. Now, this is pretty remarkable. As we put the gospel accounts, we understand that where they're headed, Luke 9 tells us that they're heading to Bethesda. Excuse me. I don't have water. But they're heading across the sea about four miles by boat on the Sea of Galilee. The people see him and them, the disciples, noting that they are heading that direction, The text tells us that they start running. By foot, it would be mapped about 8 to 10 miles, depending on the path and and the route that they took. And it tells us that many of them ran ahead and got there before they did. Makes sense. Look at verse 34. When Jesus went ashore, he's greeted by what? He saw a large crowd. And I don't know about you, I think if we were to stop there thinking, okay, we need time, a timeout, we need rest, we need to have the ability to, to gather our thoughts and, and regroup, but that's not what our Lord does here, does he? He continues to press on. He, in essence, kicks it in gear. He saw a large crowd and he felt compassion for them because they were like sheep without a shepherd and began to teach them many things. Felt compassion. Literally in the Greek, in his bowels, he felt and moved and was moved by by what he saw with his eyes. And this is important. This is an important truth that, that links to us. In light of the reality, he looks and he sees them. They are so hungry spiritually and physically that they are, are desiring to follow him wherever he went. And in his understanding and looking at the crowd, he sees that they are like sheep without a shepherd. You and I both understand sheep, right? They are hopeless. They can't do anything for themselves. The only thing they can do is that if you put food in front of their faces, they will bend down and eat it. That's it. They need somebody to protect them. They need somebody to lead them. They need somebody to help them. If they capsize, they need somebody to right the ship. I mean, they, they, they need a shepherd. And what's interesting is that Jesus points out the, the condition of the people in that day is that they are, are sheep without a shepherd. In other words, we understand that because we know exactly what's happened, right? We know that the Pharisees and the scribes they, they, and the Sadducees, they were all self-absorbed. They were individuals. Thank you, brother. I appreciate that. 
They were individuals who were more concerned about self than the sheep. As a matter of fact, they wanted the sheep to bow down and worship them. And so here you have Jesus recognizing this reality. Now, it's important. Take your, your Bible and turn back to, to Ezekiel chapter 34. I want you to see this with your own eyes. Ezekiel. We're all got to do some flipping here, right? Did I put that in the, in the, let's put it up on the screen. But Ezekiel 34 gives us some great insight that I think is helpful for us to understand what exactly is going on and why he says what he says and why this is fulfillment of what's happening. Look at verse 1 with me in Ezekiel 34. It reads there, Then the, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds, of Israel. Prophesy and say to those shepherds, thus says the Lord God, woe shepherds of Israel who have been feeding themselves. Should not the shepherds feed the flock? Verse 3, you eat the fat and clothe yourselves with the wool. You slaughter the fat sheep with feeding the flock, without feeding the flock. Those who are sickly, you have not strengthened. The disease you have not healed, the broken you have not bound up, the scattered you have not brought back, nor have you sought for the lost. But with force and with severity you have dominated them. I mean, that was the oppression that in Jesus' day where the leaders were, were just being a heavy hand. It wasn't a delight to go to the synagogue those days. They had a heavy hand upon them. Verse 5, they, they were scattered for a lack of a shepherd. Exactly what Jesus saw. And they became food for every beast of the field and were scattered. Verse 6, my flock wandered through all the mountains and on every high hill. My flock was scattered over all the surface of the, of the earth. And there was no one to search or to seek for them. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As I live, declares the Lord God, surely because of my flock has become a prey. My flock has even become food for all the beasts of the field for lack of a shepherd. And my shepherds did not search for my flock, but rather the shepherds fed themselves and did not feed my flock. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, behold, I am against the shepherds, and I will demand my sheep from them and make them cease from, from feeding sheep so that the shepherds will not feed themselves anymore. But I will deliver my flock from their mouth so that they will not be food for them. Picturing Israel, picturing this time, this reality of, uh, of the people being scattered amongst the hillside, being, being taken advantage of. It's a great reminder and a great rebuke, and especially what Jesus is saying, that he recognizes this reality that is going on here. He's pointing, and as he will show us, he's going to show us that he is the great shepherd who will feed the flock and will give them both spiritually and physically what they need. He's not like the Pharisees and the scribes and the Sadducees who desires to fleece the flock 
and shepherd in such a way that they serve themselves. He felt compassion. Literally in the Greek, he was moved. He had pity on what he saw. Oh, he clearly knew the abuses of the scribes and the Pharisees and the religious leaders of the day. And his heart was moved with compassion for the sake of the people. And he noticed that they needed the kindness and the tenderness of a shepherd. Someone who will feed them, somebody who will lead them, somebody who will care for them. And then notice this. Here's the first act of his compassion. Hopefully you didn't miss it. Verse 34, when Jesus, like you say, went ashore, he saw the large crowd. He felt compassion for them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And then what does he do? He began to teach. He began to teach. And it says there many things. He began to teach them many things. His first act of compassion was the reality for them to understand who he was. No doubt we don't have in the text exactly what he taught, but we have an idea what he taught, right? Mark 1.14 tells us that he, he called people, that the kingdom of God was at hand, repent and believe in him. We know that he no doubt was putting things together for them to see the connection that he's the anointed one, that he's the Messiah. He taught so much that the end of 35 tells us that it was quite late. This is the proof text that sermons should go long, by the way. But he taught, cared for them. He knew that they needed to hear eternal truth, to have their hearts filled with what God was doing and what he's going to do. Many things the scripture says. And I don't want you to miss the point that his first act of compassion towards them was that he taught them. He taught them. This leads us to the bulk of our text and the last divine attribute displayed by Christ, and that is the supernatural power. I think it even itself, when we think about the word, is we, we expect God to do the supernatural. Listen, he is God over creation. He's able to do whatever he desires to do with his creation. It's helpful to know that in Bible times that the food and water was hard to get. It's not like we have today a convenience store in every corner which we can pop in and, and, and feed our nutrition and feed our, our addictions to sugar and get some water. We also know this, and so did these Jews. They understood that God often showed himself, showed his hand in the midst of the lack of, of food and water. Many times we see God enter to the scene when there's a famine only to provide, to show his divine care for the people. We think of Exodus 16 where when the Israelites were exiled from Egypt and God shows up and gives the people manna and quail where he hits a rock and, and water spills forth. 
The Jews of Jesus' times understood this theology. Where God always supplied and was a gracious God and delivered on the needs of his people. And if you think about it, if Jesus was going to demonstrate that he is divine, that he is God, and show his divine attributes to the people, it would be significant to show the people by providing food and water for their needs. By the way, this is a greater account of what we see in 2 Kings chapter 4. It's an interesting connection. I would encourage you to study that for time's sake. But look to the screen, just a handful of verses. 2 Kings 4, 42 through 44, it says, Now a man came from Baal Shashalah and brought the man of God bread of the first fruits, 20 loaves of barley and fresh ears of grain in a sack. And he said, Give them to the people that they may eat. His attendant said, What will I say before a hundred men? But he said, Give them to the people that they may eat. For thus says the Lord, They shall eat and have some left over. So he set it before them, and they ate and had some left over, according to the word of the Lord. Big comparison there, though, however, right? 100 men compared to 5,000 men. Jesus was going to supply their needs in a miraculous way. Verse 35, when it was already quite late, his disciples came to him and said, this place is desolate and it is already quite late. We know that it was late because Jesus had been teaching them. The sun was setting. Verse 36, send them away, the disciples say, so that they may go into the surrounding countryside. Remember, they're in a desolate place. I mean, send them away. Hopefully they'll find a village, I think is the connotation, and buy something themselves. And this is, gets pretty interesting. Verse 37, but he answered them, you, you give them something to eat. The disciples were looking with their eyes. Remember that they had just came back from a missionary journey that, that displayed the power of God. And Jesus knew that they even themselves had the power to do what he's going to do. They're so caught up in what they saw with their eyes that they didn't understand exactly what Christ was telling them with this command, you give them something to eat. They had delegated power, and yet what they saw was what their eyes instead of their hearts. And Jesus is pointing to the reality that they could provide, but they only understood the power that they had been given. Verse 37 continues to read, And they said to him, Shall we go and spend 200 denarii on bread and give them something to eat? Remember, a day's wage is one denarii? This is a massive amount of money. So what does Jesus do? He takes control. Verse 38, And he said to them, How many loaves do you have? Go look. And when they found out, they said, What? Five and two fish. Now we know, according to the other accounts, that who, who gave up their food? For the sake of the people. Little boy, kids, right? John tells us that account. The disciples got this five loaves and two fish from a child. Verse 39, he commanded them all to sit down by, by groups on the green grass. 
Now, like we said, we know exactly how many were there. What was counted was 5,000 men. This is what gets very interesting about this miracle. Often we see this as the feeding of the 5,000, but it really is the feeding of the 20,000. When you think about the wives, the scholars try to put their minds together exactly what this number could be and how many, if you counted the women and the children that were assembled. And they, they have the idea between 15,000 to 20,000 people. I mean, that's a small stadium, is it not? All these people get a massive crowd coming, and they have need. We know that there were women and children there. Matthew 5.21 tells us that. Not only 5,000 men, but women and children were present. I say what comes next is pretty profound, and this is where the miracle, and you just think about what's happening here, <clears throat> takes away your breath. Look at verse 40. They sat down in groups of hundreds and of fifties. And he, Jesus, took the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up towards heaven, he blessed the food and broke the loaves. And then the text says, and he kept giving them to the disciples to set before them. And he divided up the two fish among them all. What is happening here? It's, it's interesting to see the way that the Greek tells us this truth. The Greek implies an imperfect tense to what's happening here. The imperfect tense is something that is, is done but then continues to happen. Now think about this. Jesus is breaking bread. As he breaks the bread and giving it to his disciples to feed the multitude, what happens? The Greek tense tells us that the bread continued to miraculously reappear. In the hands of Christ, he is breaking the breads and it is re reoccurring so that where all of them are being fed and not only being fed that there are 12 baskets left over, which, by the way, how many disciples were there? Twelve. Well, what about Jesus? Well, we don't know what he ate or what he did, but he is performing a miracle right before their eyes by breaking the food, knowing that it will multiply over and over and over again. And then verse 42 just adds the flavor to this miracle. They all ate and were satisfied. In other words, it wasn't just a nibble here and there. This was like Thanksgiving, right? How many things, I mean, third Thanksgiving meal. I mean, you have meal after meal after meal on Thanksgiving Day, and you are stuffed. That's exactly what Jesus is telling us here. Mark is telling us that they ate, they were satisfied, they were filled to the brim. And they picked up the 12 full baskets. It wasn't just scraps, they were full baskets of the broken pieces and also the fish. Providing the spiritual need to teach them providing them the physical need to satisfy their hunger. I mean, I, I walk away from this narrative in this text, and I'm just amazed, and so should you be. 
the profound nature of your God who continues to provide for his people, spiritually as well as physically. He has divine awareness. He knows your needs. He knows exactly what you need in the time that you need it. He shows his divine compassion often by supplying those needs. And then the supernatural power to provide it. Who can extend the battery life of battery for more than an hour? Only our God. There is no one like him. There will never be anyone like him. He provides for your salvation. He provides for your physical and spiritual needs. He is the great shepherd of your soul. So you think about it. What else do you, why do we wander around thinking that there's something else out there that, that can fulfill my, my deep needs? Listen, Jesus is the only one. And allow him to be that. Allow him to be the great shepherd of your soul. I mean, that's our greatest takeaway. Why do we satisfy our souls on something else other than Jesus is beside me? The more we fall in love with him, the more we desire him, the more we see him, the more grace that he shows. He is the great shepherd who feeds and cares for his sheep. This is what this miracle teaches us. And what a joy it is to be taught. Thank you for listening to the Magic Valley Bible Church Sermon Podcast. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.mvbibletf.org or Facebook at facebook.com slash mvbible or YouTube at youtube.com slash mvbible. 